This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have at this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest of our podcast today is Rio Chiba, co-founder and CEO of Topic. We were working on a Pinterest clone because social media and visual social media was a big trend at the yeah. time and we were working on it. We struggled to gain users, pivoted to turn it into a B2B product and we almost ran out of cash. But then with about two months of runway left, we basically were looking for some way to create a sustainable business. And I self-learned SEO and sort of taught myself how to produce content. And we ended up taking that business and growing it and bootstrapping to bootstrapping it to around 40 employees and hundreds of customers. Hey. And we were able to do that all through our SEO program and the content that we were producing. What I found during that journey was that the actual act of scaling up content is extremely challenging, even for highly technical and analytical people. So you can imagine how much even more difficult it is for people who don't have that kind of mindset, who may be more are creative thinkers and are more storytellers. This is Rio. He was born in Japan and came to the US at an early stage. He then moved to California and graduated from USC in 2012. While in college, he co-founded a marketing technology company called Tint, which he grew to 40 full-time employees, millions of annual recurring revenue and 1,000 plus customers in 172 countries. In 2018, he sold the company to Filestack. Today he's working on his next venture, Topic, which he co-founded in 2019. Their mission? Helping organizations produce better content. And that inspired me, and hence I invited Rio to my podcast. We explore what's broken in the world of content creation, and how current solutions are obsessed with metrics and creating more content, not content that people actually want to read or engage with. We also dig into the key learnings that Rio took away from his entrepreneurial journey why he stopped obsessing about competition and what is required to create a business that can accelerate growth based on word of mouth. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, why building relationships with your competitor can be extremely handy as you evolve your venture. Secondly, why being super critical with yourself on who it's for, i.e. which persona will become your ultimate ambassador 
is critical to securing product market fit and creating momentum. Thirdly, why, even if you're loaded with funding, you should keep a bootstrapper's mindset and be disciplined and legitimate about deploying that. And fourthly, how it's possible to operate in a highly competitive space and still find space to succeed and stand out. Well, hi, Rio. Thank you for making the time today and be a guest on my podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Tan, and looking forward to chatting. Yeah, well, I mean, it's something that I've been looking forward to. It's a topic dear to my heart, uh, talking about <laughs> your company's name topic. Yeah, I mean, I'm a blogger myself, create quite a lot of content each week. And yes, I've tried to make my life a lot easier over the past couple of years to kind of yeah, create tools around me that can help me do this in a better way. So I'm fascinated with what the technology can do in order to, yeah, to get the benefits of the large companies as a solo entrepreneur. So I saw you as your company was founded in February of 19. Together with your co-founder, you, you started the company. So we're going to talk about it and, and yeah, talk about the big idea behind it in a minute. Just a little bit about you up front. If you would have to describe yourself as an entrepreneur or as a person, what are the characteristics that come up? I would say engineer, creative and surprised. I'm constantly surprised by both, you know, how the business is evolving and in the market and also expectations. One of my core philosophies is always go into things with low expectations. So you'll be continuously pleasantly surprised. So yeah, that's how I describe that, myself. That's a good mantra to have. Because if, if you do it the other way around, you get a lot of surprises that you possibly won't like. And it's just not motivating enough. Yeah. So yeah, talking about that creative, going in with low expectations and be surprised. What drives you in day-to-day -day business? Where do you typically seek your surprises? I'm always craving validation from users and, and people who are interacting with the things that I'm building. And that's a big part of why I'm pursuing entrepreneurship as something that I do every day because it's extremely fulfilling to talk to people who are interacting with your work. Yep. You know, I think it's in line with that word that I mentioned before, creative. I think creativity and producing a piece of work is validating, but when somebody else is experiencing it and finding value from it, that's really, I think, what drives me. True. Yeah. It's the magic moments that people talk about. I mean, I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect, which is all about you know, having that mindset to create these things, even in the smallest sprints, that, that creating the things that people start talking about. You know, we are we're always really obsessed with filling gaps and doing more and looking at our competition and so on, because they got this, we, have, we need to have it as well. And we forget to kind of focus on those moments where you can surprise people. That's the art at the end. So talking about your company topic, what's the big idea behind it? Yeah, so the big idea behind our product, it all started back in 2012. I was an undergrad at the time, and that's when yeah. I met my co-founders. Actually, at the time, we were working on a Pinterest clone because social media and visual social media was a big trend at the yeah. time, and we were working on it. We struggled to gain users, pivoted to turn it into a B2B product, and we almost ran out of cash. But then with about two months of runaway left, we basically were looking for some way to create a sustainable business. And I'd self-learned SEO and sort of taught myself how to 
produce content. And we ended up taking that business and growing it and bootstrapping to bootstrapping it to around 40 employees and hundreds of customers. Great. And we were able to do that all through our SEO program and the content that we were producing. Yeah. And so what I found during that journey was that the actual act of scaling up content is extremely challenging, even for highly technical and analytical people. So you can imagine how much even more difficult it is for people who don't have that kind of mindset, who may be more are creative thinkers and are more storytellers. And so for our second venture, after we sold that company in 2018, we decided to focus in on the problem of helping teams scale content and helping expose all of the research that's typically done in automating that so that even people who don't have that kind of more data-driven mindset can quickly understand what their audience cares about and what they want to learn more about so that they can more effectively tell the story that they're trying to tell. Yeah, what is interesting to me, is it, is it about scaling context, scaling, well, to do more, or is it maybe to do better content? Yeah, it's both. I think one of the biggest problems in the industry today is that there is such a focus on scale, and especially for newcomers or solo entrepreneurs or people who are coming in at first, that's a big focus. And there are a lot of low price, high volume, low quality service providers that are in the space of churning out content. But ultimately, what really drives business is that exceptional content that goes above and beyond what's already there. And so that takes a lot of time and effort and creativity and unique data and all sorts of different factors that make it mostly inaccessible to smaller players, people True. who don't have big budgets. And so what our software does is it helps even the playing field by making the research portion of that process easier so that then people can focus on what makes their content unique and how they can tell the story better than everybody else. Cool. Music to my ears. I want to see the product. I want to feel it. <laughs> so what's the opportunity if you get this right? You know, it's what is, for example, what is the before and after for your customers? Yeah. That they experience. Yeah. In terms of before and after, we have a number of case studies in terms of what happens when you take an existing content library that was written before this kind of research was incorporated into their process. Mm -hmm. So typically, if you're writing a blog post, you might be either working with a domain expert who has a preconceived notion of what a beginner would be interested in learning about, and then you know, you'll know you quickly produce a piece of content. Or maybe you're working with, again, one of those high volume providers of content, and they sort of churn out a piece that targets a specific keyword. But ultimately, those kinds of pieces of content fall short because they don't incorporate the search intent of the audience and what they want to learn about. Yeah. And being in the shoes of your customer is a really hard thing to do, as any entrepreneur can understand. It's even harder if you are a digital marketer, because you might even be in a space that you're not an expert in. And so in terms of the before and after, if you take existing content and then run it through our software and test out how it's how it does after, we see pretty remarkable results in terms of search volume people being able to increase the search volume that they're getting from their organic search content by three times or more. Wow. So, yeah. That's pretty impressive indeed. 
That's pretty impressive. Yeah, and I completely agree with you with the, 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 the point about stepping in the shoes of your customers. I mean, I'm in, in, this, I'm in this business all the time with our customers as well. And just to have that understanding and to reflect on that and really be conscious about it is hard. But then again, it becomes your go-to piece, your, your, uh, your Bible. So, yeah, tell me a little bit about the, the journey. I mean, I wasn't aware of the fact that this, this really started already back in 2012. But, of course, the company started a little later. Since I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect, and one of the things that, one of the chapters that I really like about it is trait number five, that remarkable software businesses create new value possibilities. So it's the whole story around going from incremental type of improvements to really the exponential type, type of improvements. So you're talking about 3x increase of clicks to your website, finding your content. What did you do specifically in the product or in yeah, the product strategy side to, to enable that? I think one key thing is for the teams that we work with, one challenge with the tools that they're using are that they're very data heavy. You know, when you think of an SEO tool, you think of some dashboard with, you know, many columns of numbers and stats and specific technical aspects of pages that you need to fix. But the issue is that in terms of SEO performance in the modern day, a lot of the things that need to be improved aren't very cut and dry like that. They're not specific objective numbers that you need to improve. They're more subjective aspects like, is this content entertaining? Is it keeping people on the page longer? Is the user interface more friendly? Is this site trustworthy? Those aren't things that you can't, or those are things that you can't attach a specific number to and display in a dashboard. And so when we designed our product, we really focused in on making sure that how we presented this information was in a way that's compatible with somebody who has a more editorial mindset, who works with content on a day-to-day basis, and we tailored it more towards the persona of a content producer rather than a SEO analyst. And so that's allowed our product to be much easier and more accessible to that kind of person on a content team. And it's as a result, the adoption has been stronger than with a typical SEO tool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can have you can optimize all your content for getting yeah to the number one position on Google on, on SEO, and then have content that's completely unreadable. <laughs> so it's, yeah, and of course, then you get your bouncers, and they never come back again. So yeah, I completely agree with you. That's, I like that that you that you've been looking at all the other aspects that make people come back and not only find it but also enjoy it because that's what it's all about. At the end, it's about. Yeah, talking about the reason why people write, it's, of course, to, to teach some, something to someone else, to provide a thought that other people think about. You want to build a relationship through the content at the end. And I think that's an important aspect. So in that whole decision process, because there there's, a, of course, a number of tools already on the market. I mean, I, I can remember a couple of them, that's one or two that I actually covered in my book and in the meantime i think there's one or two that also came on the podcast in, in the area of content creation it's a pretty wide space so how did you kind of narrow down or how, how did you define on the scope of your product in order to to stand out in your marketplace yeah in terms of our process a lot of it was serendipitous and it sort of ties in with that you know it's a surprising aspect but before we started this company we spent a year consulting with people who are already in our network, 
from that previous company. So that yeah. previous company was in the marketing technology space. It was a social media aggregator. So we had a lot of contacts who were digital marketers with brands who were interested in content. So we were consulting with them doing SEO work to help optimize their content to try to figure out what were some of their pain points. And that is mainly how we were able to narrow down on the kind of person that we wanted to yeah. build a product for. Yeah. Because I mean, what I saw on your website, it's, it's, it's pretty narrow scopes, but at the end, then it becomes best of breed. Where do you see the market going, by the way? Is it the best of breed route or is it, do the people see, wait a minute, I'm getting so many tools right now, I want it to be one. Yeah, it's an interesting space right now because when we started the company, it's funny, a lot of people were like, why are you creating an SEO tool that's the most you know, crowded and, you know, uninteresting space. And, you know, it's going to be highly competitive and it's so fragmented, but really a lot of the, the best in class SEO tools right now are focused in on some of the older, more, you know, less sophisticated aspects of SEO and content production, things like keyword research, rank tracking, yep. technical optimization. But there's, you know, this whole new renewed interest in you know, once you've got the keywords and once you've figured out what people are searching for, what's next? You know, how can you what's get next? from yeah. there to actually publishing something that somebody would want to read? Let me make a small interruption here. Rio just made an excellent remark about what sparked the insight to take a different direction on solving a common problem in the market. By not obsessing about SEO, keyword research, rank tracking, or technical optimization, but instead obsessing over what you could do next with that, i.e., how do you turn that insight into something that people actually want to read and engage with? This is a typical trait remarkable software companies master. They focus on creating something valuable and desirable, rather than just table stakes. They also realize they can't please everyone, and instead focus on the smallest viable audience, i.e. the persona, to exceed their expectations, and with that, turn them into advocates. So you can master these traits as well. I have two options for you to start. Firstly, read or listen to my book, The Remarkable Effect. And you can find that on amazon.com. Secondly, get into action right away and surround yourself by a group of like-minded people, tech founders and CEOs that will help you remove your blind spots, explore new paths and sharpen your thinking. How? Just visit valueinspiration.com and see the videos where many of your peers share their experiences with our tribe and what they've come to value most. Back to the interview. And that's a really hard problem that up until today, we haven't had the technology to be able to assist in. But, you know, these new technologies, these new generation technologies like GPT-3, which is a new type of AI system to yep. help generate human sounding text, and others have allowed more and more companies to appear in the space. So I think at least for the next couple of years, we're going to see a wide variety of tools appear to solve different, you know, point problems. And then, you know, the next SEMrush or Ahrefs or, you know, big player in the space will emerge from that to consolidate some of those aspects. But yeah. Sure. Yeah. So what has been a really important decision on your route to or on your journey to get where you are right now? That's a good question. I think one really important decision was to define why we were doing this in the first place. My co-founder yep. and I, you know, like I mentioned, we've been working at our previous company since 2012. And when we sold it, we definitely made a 
distinct decision that for this next business, we wanted to create something a little smaller scale, bootstrapped, and something that we could build with intention and have more ownership over. And so, you know, for this round, we're taking the approach of honing in and figuring out, you know, by name, who are the customers that we're serving, building a relationship with them and creating a sustainable business without the intention of raising or growing very quickly or being too worried about the competition because ultimately competition is a good thing. And if we can find a place where our customers are happy and we can deliver that value, then we don't have to worry as much about that. So you, you have the opportunity to kind of compare the, the previous venture and this one. And, and I really like the point that you made about doing it with intent, focus on the value for our customers. Don't worry about what the others are doing. Do you see that this approach is actually bringing you more value or well, bringing you to a different place faster? I think it talking about fast and slow, one of the things that can slow your mind down is a fixation yeah. on the competition. I mean, anybody yeah. in any space will understand the feeling of, you know, seeing a competitor release a new feature or seeing, you know, them get accolades or, you know, and how distracting that can be. And so I think to your point, absolutely reducing that mentally allows you to get your own tasks done and, and focus on your own mission much more efficiently. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm yeah. a big believer in that value first, profit next, because that's, that's typically also the mantra that I see with companies that are competition obsessed. It's like they take the shortcuts and value first. If the customers then, then become your fans and become the flywheel for your business, they'll do, they, they do the marketing for you. Yeah. But that being said, you know, it's, I still, it's always also healthy to pay attention to competitors too on the other side of the coin. Sure. But yeah, it's just everybody has that natural, that natural tendency to fixate on, on what yeah. others are doing and, and feel nervous about it and, and doing yeah. that. It's not healthy. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, I also, in my book, I make the, the point about not being, trying to be better or just a fraction better because that's like, that's a war you cannot win, but be different. And uh, I think that is, if you then look at competition and you continuously have, a, have a way, finding a way to be different and serve your customers in a different way, then, it, then it's no problem at all. So Definitely. in that whole development process, creating the products, listening to customers with your initial intent in terms of what you wanted to do, were there any surprising byproducts that came out of this? When you say byproducts, do you mean like byproducts of insight or actual yeah. side products or... Yeah. Well, things that you didn't expect to come, but it appeared to be, yeah, very important on, on well, to make the next step. Yeah. I think one interesting unexpected byproduct is developing relationships with those, just to go back to that competitor's point, developing relationships with your competitors. A funny story is that, you know, one of our competitors in the space, it's a company called Market Muse, but their CEO actually emailed us and they're like, hey, we'd love to chat just to get to know you. And yeah. we had a good conversation. And those kinds of relationships, even though in the business sense are somewhat adversarial, they can really yeah. come in handy later on in your entrepreneurial journey. And that is that is something that we learned from the previous company too, is that when we were exiting, we had relationships with all of our competitors in some way. You know, some of them were a little rockier than others, but we, we knew their emails and, you know, we at yeah. least, you know, had a call before. And so we could reach out to them and ask them, 
hey, you know, we're thinking of exiting. Are you thinking of exiting? You know, would you be interested in, in you know, partnering or merging or like, who are you talking to? All of those things yeah, are so true. important strategically. And even situations where we all relied on, you know, a specific API, we could rally together to try to lobby to get access to that again. You know, those kinds of situations where relationships with your competitors are so important, you know, is it is an interesting by, byproduct that you wouldn't expect going into the journey of entrepreneurship. Correct. Yeah. That's yeah. uh, that's an interesting angle there. Exactly. Yeah, I know the, the CEO of Market Views. He was on the podcast as well a while yeah, back. He's a fun guy. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, talking about the model that you're that you're following, is the focus going to be on the end product for the end user, or is it going to be more of an API type strategy that you plug into all these platforms in order to make those platforms better? For us, it's more on the end product, yeah, and less on the API. I think in terms of our skill set, a lot of it is the engineering and specifically making things easy to use. And so if we provided an API, we unfortunately would lose out on the value creation of creating something easy to use True. in the sense that a lot of our customers aren't super technical. So, Yeah, that's correct. Correct. Yeah. So what, what did you experience when you started selling this? And what is, yeah, well, first, what did you experience in the selling process? Yeah, so the selling process is is interesting and ties back to that year of consulting that we did before this product. We actually had a different product called Apparatus, but it was an A-B testing platform for SEOs uh-huh. and it was much more technical and catered to that other persona, which is the, you know, the analyst who's constantly figuring out, you know, what are the small things that we need to tweak to boost our numbers. And so when we were selling that, the experience was pretty challenging in terms of most people either had a solution already or they were at the beginning of their sophistication level with SEO. And so they didn't have the capacity or bandwidth to implement something like our product. So yep. that's when we pivoted to the person on the other end of their team, which is the content producer, who typically isn't the analyst, but is more on the editorial side. And when we were selling with them, our experience was a lot more positive because I think we were able to nail down the product market fit and also add value on top of the kinds of solutions that they were already used to seeing. Yeah, okay, I can understand that. Yeah, and then, and then of course, the priorities that you put into the product are going to be way, way different. Interesting. So have you experienced a point where you say, hey, when we started on this journey and we, we, we pivoted for this, new, for this new role, new persona, was there a moment where you started to see the breakthrough moment your, of your, or your tipping point? I think our breakthrough moment hasn't come yet <laughs> in the sense that we, do, we are steadily growing, yeah. but in terms of the inflection point when it becomes more and more mainstream, I think we're just starting to see that in the market in terms of awareness of this type of product and we're seeing sure. it grow. But in terms of the growth rate, I think that there's more to come. But in terms of our business, I can say that, you know, going back to the low expectations, the beginning of 2020, you know, even getting to half of the point where we are now seemed impossible. And we've been lucky enough to have word of mouth be our primary channel in terms of product growth. But we're still looking for that sustainable lead engine that is yeah. Yeah, yeah. hopefully there. Yeah. 
Well, that's that's a good sign if it's if the word of mouth is helping for you. And I've had plenty of people on the podcast that had tremendous growth on a budget that was less than five thousand or ten thousand dollar a year. So it's it is possible to do that. Yeah, like you say, develop with intent and try to do something remarkable for those for your customer. That brings me to a question that I always like to ask since I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect. It's about the 10 traits that define remarkable software businesses. You've been in two, you founded two, or you, you ran two companies. What do you believe is are traits that you need to develop or focus on in order to create yeah, a software business that people talk about? That's a good question because there's such a diversity of the kinds of teams that are out there and the yeah. way they approach the problem. But I think one common pattern is an understanding of, well, I'm trying to think. I'm thinking back to, funnily enough, thinking back to all the mistakes that we made at our previous company as a sort of antithesis to the question, you know, what kind of, like, yeah. what are the kinds of things that a remarkable company should avoid doing? But I think one key aspect is being able to calibrate what your business needs right now and then assembling the right team to get that done. And it seems easy on paper, but one of the biggest mistakes we made at our previous company was not only did we suddenly get all these resources all of a sudden, you know, through that SEO program, we basically got started having this really strong inbound channel, which allowed us to generate really strong revenue and, and profits. And we very quickly started spending very quickly on all sorts of things, including hires to solve problems that we really didn't have, you know? And so I think truly remarkable software companies are able to understand that just because you are, you have all these resources doesn't give you the permission to not be disciplined about deploying them. And yeah, in addition to that, teams that have a keen sense of the kind of person it takes to really move the needle forward or, or generate value do better. You know, we spent two years of that previous company going through all sorts of senior level hires that we struggled to get ramped up because we were new college grads and didn't know how to spot somebody who's really good at what they do versus somebody who's trying to sell you on themselves. And so, you know, I think yeah. people who have that radar or that experience in working with people have a massive advantage in starting a new business. That's another category of software, by the way, the recruitment space. Oh, yeah, the <laughs> recruitment space, yeah. <laughs> There's also AI for that, to figure out like who you really have in front of you and whether yeah. the person is going to last for 12 months. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That's a difficult, that's a difficult thing. So talking about the other mistakes and the things that you've experienced in your previous company, what has been maybe your, your biggest business regret? I think my biggest business regret was that we weren't more lean with the previous company. And yeah we didn't hire for the right roles at the right time. Yeah, I think it really hampered us because there's definitely a downside to growing and especially in terms of team, because when you bring somebody on to your mission and get them all riled up for what you're doing, but then you might need to pivot or you might need to switch directions. There's a huge cost to that in terms of trying to realign everybody, you know, like all yeah. these people who are sold this one vision are now have to sort of change their minds. And that takes up a lot of energy and time and money. And so, you know, if you're able to do the same thing with a leaner team, you know, with 
with contractors or, or people or with agencies, you know, who have more of a short-term commitment, then it can really save you a lot of hassle down the road. And so I think we could have been much more efficient if we had taken that route. And, you know, in terms of the, the spending, that also applies to things like offices. Like we had a lot of founder friends who encountered the same situation where they're able to rapidly grow and, or they got funding. And yep. so, you know, to be legitimate, they needed to find a cool office in San Francisco and hire a ton of people. But, you know, that it's not really necessary these days, especially with software business where everybody's exactly. international. So Yeah, I would say, are your customers in San Francisco? No, they're not. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> they could be here in Spain. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And it's funny how you start reacting. And I'm talking about it. Do you have the funding? I mean, it's always this balance. Bootstraps, you know. It has its pros and cons, and being funded has its pros and cons. I still think if I just look at all the people that I talk to, the people in my tribe, the people on my podcast, is that the majority will still say that the bootstrapped version actually is, it maybe gives you a better sense of what is the right thing <laughs> because you, have, you, you think twice and you stay, you stay focused on the task and it's more difficult to explain well, to go left and right in this wonder of. Yeah. Definitely. You only learn when you're struggling and being bootstrapped <laughs> means more struggles because you have less yeah. resources. That's so. true. Yeah. yeah. So what are you most proud of achieving so far? If you look, for example, at yeah, quotes or anecdotes from your customers. or I think I'm most proud of being able to work with some of the most competitive or to operate in a highly competitive space and still find a space to succeed. It's always fun to do that. And I think I've been lucky through that first startup experience to have the perspective to be able to look at what we're doing and appreciate how exactly how difficult it actually is. Yeah, true. And even, you know, even if the successes aren't enormously huge to be able to truly appreciate that and feel satisfied. I think that perspective is something that I'm proud of having. Yeah. 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 Cool. Celebrate. Well, what they say, celebrate your wins and keep moving forward step by step and staying on course and get every, keep everybody going with you. Yeah. That's I mean, the first journey, it's like, I really realized how, much of a trap it is to just focus in on the next goal without taking a breather and appreciating where you are today. Cause ultimately life can change really fast as COVID yeah. has taught us, you know? So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, what, what do you mean there with kind of starting to focus on your next goal without, without taking a breather? Yeah. I mean, I think this is like something that any, anybody listening to the show too can relate, but when you have so much energy and creative freedom and you know you're pursuing this this mission that you've built your life around it's it's so easy to never really think about True. where you are right now and be present in the moment and yeah. appreciate all the work that you've done past because you know you're always setting the next goal you're always trying to get to the next milestone whether that's financial or you know True. with the company but yeah so how do you keep yourself health. sane yeah, that's a good question. I think one of the major things is, again, having low expectations. You know, even with the previous company, I was like, if this doesn't work out, I can always get a job as an engineer in the city. So it's okay to fail. And paradoxically, that results in being more free to create and yeah, be creative. And so 
yeah, generally I've always tried to work hard, but also keep low expectations and, you know, just focus in on the, identify the things that make me happy and, and work on those things. Yeah. Well said. I think these are powerful words to finish here. I like that. And I, I pretty much follow the same mindset and it helps. So what is next for you? What is the greatest aspiration? Even if it's low expectations for the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah. My next, the things that we're focused in on right now is we have been able to cultivate a really great set of initial customers that we have some good relationships with. And now we want to start expanding our product into the different areas that we know people have challenges with. So right now we're really focused in on research, making that easy, but people also have issues and challenges coming up with ideas. So before they are even ready to do the research, figuring out what are the unique angles they want to pursue. And then on the other end, after you've produced the content, figuring out, okay, how do I figure out which content is performing better or worse? Or, or can I get insights from looking at the data on how it's performing after it's published? So we're sort of starting to explore those two areas and yeah. working with our existing customers to identify how we can build our product in those spaces. Nice. Yeah. The fun part of the journey to be yeah, involved in. So where can people go to find out more about your company topic or to say hi to you? Yeah, so you can just search use topic on Google or our website is usetopic.com and that's where folks can find me. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Rio. Fascinating journey you're on. I'm a big fan of the type of applications that you create. I think they are important. I think it will also help once everybody start to adopt this, That what I hope is that it will give marketing a better name because we start to write things that resonate, that are more entertaining and just, yeah better performing for the right reasons rather than spamming people. So thank you very much and good luck with the company. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, Tan. It was a pleasure. And this ends my conversation with Rio. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on the mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Rio Chiba, co-founder and CEO of Topic. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. 
Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.